Welcome to the Red Eye Manifesto, a weekly travel podcast designed not only to inspire fresh ideas when it comes to avenues of adventure, but also to address some of the seemingly most tantalizing aspects of the traveling lifestyle itself. Stop by weekly as we recount times of travels past and unveil a series of tips for making travel duly enjoyable as it can be economical. The world is a beautiful place. And worth fighting for, and I hate very much to leave it. Wait, who said that? Was that... Hemingway? Yeah, it's like we get it, bro. Yeah, but the dude has a point, right? I mean, the end is inevitable. So here at the Red Eye Manifesto, we seek to inspire, encourage, and revive the lost and worried traveler by debunking the terror and price tags involved when it comes to travel. Last week, we discussed the logistics of backpacking through Ireland with stories about Dublin and Cork, but this week we're pushing east to Great Britain. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the chaos of London's underground the hassle of exchanging your currency, and of course, we'll drop you a few tips for enjoying the city life in London on the cheap. On the review of the week, we'll tell you where you can grab a hunk of the spiciest chicken in Europe and explain why you should never take the top bunk if you can avoid it. And as always, thanks for all the support. And if you haven't done so already, get over to redeyemanifesto.com slash sticker, and we'll mail you out a free sticker as soon as possible. We got 50 of these bad boys hot off the press, and we're eager to get rid of them. And we also want to say thank you to the 30 loyal followers on Instagram and to the nine of you on Twitter. Simply following along with us on any of our social platforms really goes a long way. And if you enjoy the show, you can always help us grow by subscribing on iTunes and leaving a review. Each review you leave pushes us higher into the top charts, and that's where we can begin providing you with higher quality episodes and special travel discounts. But it doesn't end there. In just over four weeks, me and Dylan will be hitting the road for our highly anticipated Alaskan Odyssey, and we'll be driving through the Canadian wilderness into the last frontier. And this isn't something you're going to want to miss, folks, because each day we're going to be broadcasting from the car, and each day we'll have a new episode to not only listen to, but to watch on our YouTube channel. So stay tuned. Well, you ready to kick us off to London, Kyle? Take it away, sir. Apart from the humming engine on the curb, the quiet back streets of Cork were still. The burnt orange glow of street lamps lit the terrace, and the stone-built guardrail stood smooth in a frosting of vanilla moonlight. It was 5 a.m., and we had just rolled out of bed, but our heads were swimming with the prospect of what awaited us on the tarmac. I had a friend from back home living abroad in Spain, and on the impulse, she purchased a ticket and met up with us in London. The goal was just to get in, get settled, and she'd meet up with us at the pub downstairs. Our driver was an elderly Irishman with stories to tell of Galway. The cliffs, he kept saying. The cliffs of Moher. Next time, we told him, still sleepy from the rise and shine, too early for the continental breakfast even, and so our stomachs were howling for sustenance. But pulling up to Cork Airport, we helped unload our packs from the trunk, and we slipped him a little extra dough for his kindness, even though in Europe you're hardly expected to tip. When we stepped into the airport, we made our way to the check-in counter and plowed through security. Pulling from the other end, we made a dash to the nearest restaurant and shoveled down a traditional Irish breakfast. So what's that? Well, it's toast, eggs, sausage, black pudding, and beans, and this funky little-looking tomato thing that I personally wanted nothing to do with. From there, we had a couple hours to kill, so we fired off a few last minute. Wait, hey Dylan, you getting in the Wi-Fi? No, I mean, unless you want to trust this one called uh, Dirty Mike's Safe and Friendly Wi-Fi Network. Heck, don't know about you, but I'd rather not get my stuff hacked today. Me neither, and so we passed what remained of our time catching Z's and fueling up for what awaited us on the other island. So let's talk about the discount airliners for a second, shall we? First off, Europe is chock full of them. You got Aer Lingus, Wow, Iceland Air, Air France, 
EasyJet, Vueling, German Wings, Air Berlin, Jet2, Thomas Airlines, My Air. Oh, and of course, the dreaded Ryanair. Now, regardless of which airline you choose, they're all going to be somewhat the same. They're all going to try to sell you something from cigarettes to lotto tickets to cheeseburgers once in your air. And chances are you're going to be sitting thigh to thigh with a dude on either side of you. On top of that, the checked bag fees are through the roof. And if you don't check in at least four hours ahead of schedule, well, you can easily screw yourself out of $100. Yeah, and I think they do that as a way to compensate for the rock bottom ticket prices, but uh, I digress. Bottom line, read the fine print and understand what you're getting into when it comes to these discount airliners because it might not always be such a discount. If you're not balling on a budget, try an airline like Cathway Pacific, Qatar, or Emirates. So after a little to no sleep in the 45-minute sardines can ride, we landed in London Stansted and shuffled off the plane into the kingdom. Now, if you factor the UK into your backpack itinerary, understand that you'll have another form of currency to deal with. In the United Kingdom, it's going to be the pound sterling, but everyone there calls it quid. Quid, squid, pounds, doesn't matter. Bottom line is you need cash to get around because swiping your card four to five times a day is going to rack you up a fortune in international transaction fees. So where do you go? The ATM. Now I know, I know, I know, going to the ATM may seem like a waste considering the exchange rate, the foreign ATM fee from your bank, plus the fee to use the damn ATM itself, but it can be worth it in the long run. So let's break it down. Say you pull 100 pounds out of the ATM in the airport. With the exchange rate, you're pulling about $146 from your bank account in the States. The ATM charges you three pounds for using the ATM and your bank charges you $5 for pulling out of a foreign ATM. On top of that, you have to pay the foreign transaction fee, but you're only paying it once. Let's call it 3% to be moderate. So all in all, you're pulling about $160 from your account, which seems like a lot for only 100 pounds, but in my opinion, it's always good to have a little cash on you, just in case a place's machines are down. And uh, you know, due to the lack of Wi-Fi, it'll be a lot easier to manage your money that way in terms of cash than to constantly keep swiping your card here and there. Some credit cards offer a no international transaction fees perk, but I still think it's a good idea to have a little bit of cash on you to pay for things that are unavailable without it, because a lot of places are going to be cash only. With a pocket full of pounds, we hopped on a one-hour bus ride into town, sinking our phones to the complimentary Wi-Fi in the bus, and prepped for the hustle to our hostel. At about a quarter past three, the city began to emerge from the horizon, and the tourists scrambled from side to side firing off impatient snaps of a cloudy Big Ben. Getting dropped at Victoria Coach Station, we schlepped our bags to the nearest metro and descended into the world of London's underground. The metro stations all have names, and the one we entered through was called the Victoria Station. If you pull up a map, or if you look at the image on the site we'll put up, you'll see that it's on the Blue Line, which is near the River Thames. Seeing as our hostel is located next to the Pimlico Station, we climb into the side of the train headed for Brixton. If we would have hopped on the other train headed for Walthamstow Central, it would have taken us in the opposite direction. Remember to look at it in terms of what the final destination will be on the train before jumping on one randomly because it can and will cost you time. There's nothing worse than having to backtrack or buy additional metro tickets if you could have avoided it in the first place. If you're on the blue line and for some reason need to get to another color line, just exit the train to the station that intersects with the color you need. Sometimes you may need to do this more than once, but it can save you a ton of money and also a ton of time, especially when you don't have an abundance of either. 
When we emerged from the echoes of underground living, we stepped into the shower of sunlight. The clouds were temporarily parted, and life of spring was visible in the blossoms of trees and the songs of birds. The hostel was only a few blocks away from us, and double-decker buses raced by to the companionship of uniformed black taxi cabs. The name of the place was the Surprise Backpackers Hostel, and it came equipped with its own pub. A pretty neat setup where the first floor was a bar and the upper three stories were an impressive hostel. However, when we got there, we had a few hours to kill before we could check in, and having not eaten since the night before, we scavenged what we could from our packs to ease the hunger pains and popped into a local convenience store to snag a few cans of cola. So we passed what remained of our time, making plans for the upcoming venture. We had to get to France, so we weighed out our options. Three days, right? In France? Yeah, but dude, here's the thing. I'm getting hella bad vibes from Paris. I mean, everyone we talked to so far said the people were unfriendly there, and the place is pretty lame. So what do you think about Germany? I don't know, man. I kind of have my heart set on France. All right, well, how about let's compromise? How does two days sound instead of three? Make up an extra day in Spain? Deal. And so with a compromise settled, we browsed the tickets out via plane. Oh man, 150 euros? Ouch! What about a bus? Standby. Or how about renting a car? Okay. 20 euros out the door for a bus deal. Hell, it even goes under the English Channel. The channel? Book it. One step ahead of you. And then it was time to check in. The hostel was up a narrow flight of stairs and the layout was a maze. In the rooms, they stacked the beds three high, and I took one second from top. The frame moaned and creaked from the pressure of the climb, and the whole structure swayed when you trusted your weight to the rungs of the ladder. Better hope the dude on top is pretty nimble, otherwise I may not wake to tell him off. Ah, oh, savage. But it's kind of hard to argue with the price, though. And he was right, just about 20 euros a night it wasn't a bad deal, considering the location. Who did you say was meeting up with us today? Natalie is her name. I know her from back home, and she's studying in Spain right now. Oh, word? Yeah. So she wants to go catch an Arsenal game tonight, so I told her why not. Couldn't hurt to get a vibe from the football culture they have around here. So we met up in the pub downstairs. Another of our breed, we talked of where she'd been and of what to expect when we made it to Catalonia. Then we took off for a walking tour, covering first the British Houses of Parliament, and then Westminster Abbey. From there, we hopped the tube and headed for the northwest side of town to snap a stereotypical pic of the Beatles' Abbey Road. But, God forbid you take one single step past the gate into Abbey Road Studios. I mean, we tried getting in, but got an awful earful from the guy inside. Apparently it's closed to the public, but we weren't surprised. Either way, it was a mild disappointment, and so we exchanged our luck and hope of finding a decent pub to catch the football game. Emirates Stadium lies north of the city center, so we thought it'd be best to get closer to the stadium as possible before settling in on a pub. So we hopped on the St. John's Wood Station and shot ourselves over to Arsenal. When we emerged, we followed the cursing indignities of the rival team and pushed our way through the door and through a mob of people standing point-blank to television screens to inspect what was happening. Natalie stayed in and joined the bleeding horde, but Kyle and I, being not of the athletic cloth, stepped out into the empty patio where naught but a few families ate complacently in the sunshine. We ordered some drinks and struck up a conversation with the man sitting next to us. He seemed pretty quick to notice that we weren't from the area and had nothing but questions about America. About halfway through the game, he picked up our second round and let us in on a little secret, Camden Lock. Apparently a pretty hip part of the town that locals escape to go to on the weekends. And so, with nothing to lose, we planned on heading over after the game. Inside, however, the crowd was roaring and laying into the screen with every exchange of the ball. Get the ball, you blanking blank! 
and shrills of impatient anticipation washed over eager eyes. If you thought Americans got crazy over football, well then, as Tom Petty would say, you ain't seen nothing yet. It was chaos, and for a moment, I was afraid for Natalie. But sure enough, she returned into feud to check on us, and we explained out our plans for the night. Camden Lock Place is a pretty chill part of town, but make sure you leave yourself plenty of time to spend there. By the time we made it into the Camden Town Station, the nightlife had begun, but it was already well into the evening. What time do the tube stations close? Uh, I'm thinking midnight, and it was already 10 o'clock. Well, might as well make the best of it. And so we killed the better half of two hours, crawling from pub to pub, and grabbed a bite of fish and chips on the way back. But as we stood on the escalator heading back into the belly of Camden Town, the clock was thinning nearer and nearer to midnight. I think that's the last train. I said as the screech of brakes filled the tunnel. Run! As we bolted, dropping chips from the newspaper funnels of our dinner and dashed past signs denoting where we had headed. Which one? I cried, torn between one in direction for King's Cross and another for Warren Street. This one! And we slid in just as the doors were closing. Jeez, that was close. How did you know to take this one? Uh, I didn't. Pulling up the metro map on my phone, so I got bad news for you. I figured. But, on the bright side, it was a 50-50 chance. An indecision would have gotten us nowhere. Totally worth a gamble, regardless. So we rode the train to its last stop and sifted through our options. Well, we basically have two at this point. Actually, three. We could try figuring out how the night buses work, walk, or we could pay a little bit more and take a cab. How far from the hostel are we? Three miles, give or take. And considering we have no Wi-Fi, I'd honestly prefer not to give the night buses a go this late at night. If I'm being honest. And not to mention how badly our feet hurt from walking all day. Alright, call a cab. And just like that, 20 pounds of the budget obliterated. We then crashed into our bunks and were eager to make it up for the following day. The morning and afternoon of the second day slid past pretty much as you would expect a typical sightseeing tour of the city to pass. And not to mention that we were still hurting from the unexpected midnight taxi ride. So we didn't want to get into anything too crazy today. So we started off the day by poking into the shops in Piccadilly Circus, where you can find just about anything with the Queen's face plastered to it. For a moment, we considered catching a performance of Book of Mormon, but the tickets were a little out of our price range, so we declined. And then we took off for Buckingham Palace to watch the changing of the guards. But the whole thing was too difficult to see in behind flash mobs of street performers and tourists alike. Then lunch at a Greek restaurant that was nothing to write home about, and then a quick stroll through the beauty of springtime Hyde Park. And off, once again, to the east side to catch a glimpse of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre, the Tower of London, and the Tower Bridge. There's plenty of things to do on the riverfront if you have the cash. You can tour the museums, catch a play, take a walking tour of London's sketchy dungeons, but we weren't really in the mood for all that, and... Even with quite a large sum of the day before us, we decided we needed a little vacation from our vacation, and so we just kind of headed back to the neighborhood of uh, where we were staying and settled on some bomb chicken from a place called Nando's before catching some R&R &R at the hostel. I'll tell you what, for someone who isn't really used to doing a lot of walking around, a backpacking tour of Europe is going to be, well, what I wouldn't consider hard. But your feet are going to hurt pretty bad. Exactly, and that's not just the problem. It just means that you should probably not bite off more than you can chew, but... Dylan and I did exactly that. And so lying down on our bunks in the room for the first time, we passed out, only to awake, fully rested, to partake in some late-night shenanigans with the hostel's Finnish community. Now, regardless of where you stay in Europe, you're bound to run into some people from all over the world. People from other parts of the country you're visiting or people from the other end of the world. The Southeast Pacific, Indonesia, the Middle East, people from other parts of Europe. 
So as we stumbled into the kitchen after our nap, we took a place at the dinner table and tried planning out the hostile situation for France. But as we conducted our research, a small group of young adults stumbled into the room, one of whom was carrying a tall glass of green liquid, which he proceeded to slam directly in the center of the table between Kyle and I. So, uh, what's the deal, bro? And in a thick Dutch accent, he asked if we wanted to play a game. All right, hell, we could even use a little culture in our lives. Have at it. And so we laid out a deck of cards on the table, apparently each one symbolizing a different rule that would result in a person having to drink a certain number of sips from the green chalice. Ah, don't kid yourself, man. They were playing the Finnish version of Kings, and we were losing to their hometown advantage. Pretty badly, I might add. Oh, and I'm pretty sure that green liquid was pure absinthe, and so we never really made it to the last card of the deck before breaking off interest of the game to explore each other's stories and the lives in conversation. At our core, though, we realized we were more alike than we were different, which was something to really think about. Yeah, I think that when it comes to traveling, we do it as a way to see the world, to experience things we could never experience sitting on the couch watching National Geographic. And you get it from going city to city, looking at things with your own eyes. Or you can find it in the eyes of people just like you. Boom. Wow. What a story. So what did we learn from this brief stint in London? First and foremost, when you go out eating as much as you are going to be when you're traveling, you're not expected to tip in Europe, which can be a little bit of a wake-up call. Exactly. When you're in Europe, you're not exactly expected to tip. I mean, you obviously can, but the servers are paid a decent salary, unlike the servers here in the United States. So don't feel guilty if you don't have the money to tip or you just don't want to tip. It's not the custom and they don't expect you to tip unless the service is just exceptionally i mean it's exceptional through the roof five out of five stars terrific and secondly as much as you're going to be relying on technology whether it be directions to your hostel around town or booking your next flight out not every airport is going to have free wi-fi so don't rely on it being there unless you want to pay for it i think about 60 to 70 percent of the airports that we were at did not have free wi-fi or what they would do is they would have like a free 30 minutes and then you'd have to pay beyond that. And so we basically just kind of made a fake email address and we kept sending, you know, signing up for these free little snippets of Wi-Fi. But uh, if you don't want to do that, you know, just understand that you probably shouldn't rely on it when you go to the airports. Dylan briefly mentioned it earlier, but use an ATM if you're going to exchange your currency. And most fees are going to range from anywhere from 2 to 5%, but that's a lot cheaper considering your alternative of swiping your card everywhere you go and racking up more and more fees. And speaking of security here, let's talk about uh, you know safety, especially when it comes to our electronics and it comes to our identities and it comes to our money. Uh, be careful when you're connecting to Wi-Fi networks because you can get hacked through the ones that are phony. If you remember from the story, I asked Kyle if, you know, kind of jokingly, if you wanted to connect to Dirty Mike's free and safe Wi-Fi network. You probably don't want to connect to something like that because chances are good it's not going to be a safe connection and somebody could steal all of your information off of your cell phone very easily. And not to mention your whole life is on your phone or on your computer and you're especially vulnerable when you're traveling because you do have so much data and financial information and people that live there and that are con artists for lack of a better word know that so they're going to be preying on tourists american tourists like you and i yeah and don't think that you're blending in they absolutely know who the tourists are and they i mean they might as well be walking around with a sign on your head that says sucker so Kyle, when you decide to go backpacking, I mean, how many days would you say you should spend in the country? It, it really depends on who you are, but I would say spend more than two days in the country 
plain and simple. And why is that? Because, I mean, what's the point? You really only have enough time to get in and get out. Between the time going from the airport to the hostel and the hostel to the airport, which in cities like London can be over an hour away, most of your day is going to be eaten up by traveling. So at least two days, bare minimum, and that's two full days in the country because you did pay all that money to get there, whether it be on Ryanair or the bus. So you might as well get your money's worth and see all that is there to be offered. Chances are good you're going to be taking the cheaper flights. So you're going to be leaving really early in the morning. And then by the time you get to the hostel, you're checked in, you're tired, you want to take a nap, and then you wake up, it's nighttime already. Well, there goes your one day in travel. Then you have the next day that you can spend walking around the city. Maybe a second day you can spend all day in the city. And then that fourth day would ideally be the day that you leave for another country. So I would say about four days in each country. Five, if I'm being, I mean, if you really want to get intimate with the city, five days would probably be a great place to start especially in a city like London where they have the underground and you can go pretty much anywhere. And speaking of that, each underground ticket or each tube ticket, as they call it, is going to be two pounds. But you can buy a book of those for a lot cheaper. So if you know you're going to be traveling there for a couple days, buy that book and it's going to save you a couple pounds here and there. And not only that, but on certain days they offer discounts for students. I know that, uh, you know, when we were in London, I think there was a day where you could buy a day pass between different zones, and it was a lot cheaper, especially if you're going to be traveling nothing but within those zones. And it kind of, you know, you're going to get tired from walking around, and you're going to want to take those train rides because you can sit down the whole time. Uh, So, again, buy the book of train tickets, you know, read all of the discounts that they have, read the fine print, because they're not going to come out and ask you, oh, are you a student? Are you a young adult are you this are you that you'll just have to know the buttons to press so don't go wasting money that you don't need to on to the next thing though i think that one of the coolest things we found through the eyes of a local was what was his name danny i think it was yeah his name was danny and he uh you know he was at florida he was in florida when he was a teenager so he had a ton of like really cool questions to ask us about america it's funny because you know growing up you kind of have this stereotype that Europeans don't like Americans and they think we're all loud mouthed and fat which you know some of us might be but he was a super chill dude and we learned a lot about the local happenings in the city and you know it's kind of I know we talked about this in the last episode in Ireland it can be kind of not hard but you definitely have to try especially in really touristed cities like London to kind of find out where the locals hang out and if you're into that type of thing you're gonna find some really cool stuff like Dylan and I did Another thing is, you know, not just the locals, but the people that you're going to be interacting with at the hostel. Take the time to talk to them, learn their stories, learn their backgrounds. They want to know just as much about you as you want to know about them. Had we not sat down and played that ridiculous game of Kings with the green chalice and that absinthe, we probably would not have learned as much as we would have, you know, just saying no and turning in for the night. Um, You know, kind of do things that make you uncomfortable. Do things that are going to push you out of your comfort zone and take risks. That's the whole reason you're over there. And if you don't take full advantage of it, you're really cheating yourself. Even if you're in a place like London or the United Kingdom, there's going to be people from all over the world, as Dylan said. And that's really cool. And you're going to learn a lot about London because you're there. But you can also learn a lot about other cultures and people and what their life is back home. And if you meet someone from Sweden, they're going to be as interested in what life as an American is like as you are in their life interact with people in the hostel and they're all going to be young cool people for the most part and everyone is in the same boat they're traveling and they're trying to have a really good time and even after this trip that kyle and i took to europe and we stayed in hostels all along the place i mean kyle and i still stay in hostels purely for that reason 
just to interact with people from all over the world, whether you're in Europe or you're in your own backyard staying at a hostel in another city in the United States. It's worth it. Dylan and I stayed at a hostel. A couple people from Scotland and Sweden, and it's they have them all over the world, and they probably have it in your own city wherever you live. You know, another thing is don't be afraid to take a break halfway through the day. Chances are good you're in Europe, you're going to be doing a ton of walking around, not just because, you know, you want to save money by not taking that, you know, fourth metro ticket of the day or fourth metro trip of the day, but you want to walk around because you want to see all the buildings and you want to see the architecture and you want to pop into shops here and there and things like that. So don't be afraid to, you know, head back to the hostel about halfway through the day to take a quick breather, rest your feet you know, get a drink of water, things like that are going to save you time and heartache, and they're going to save you, uh, you know, your feet. I mean, Kyle, did you have blisters all over the bottoms of your feet when you came back from Europe? Oh, man, it was horrible. Not just blisters, but just the most rancid, repulsive, it just nasty. Yeah. Right. So take care of your feet. Speaking of walking around and messing up your feet, that often leads to thirst. And obviously it goes without saying, stay hydrated. But the one thing that kind of really what I learned was that there's very little ice in Europe. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Not just the lack of ice, but a lot of the water there, they'll ask it if you want it bubbly or non-bubbly, meaning if you want it carbonated or just plain old American water. And if you're like me, I want some American water with ice in it. So you're going to have to kind of differentiate between the two. Yeah, and when you order water at a restaurant in Europe, they're not going to bring you over a free glass of water chances are good they're going to bring over a bottle of water and charge you for it uh to make sure that you are getting free water if you really want it you got to ask for tap water and then they'll kind of bring it over from the bar for you but chances are good that the restaurant's not even going to do that they'll say oh well we don't have that here and they'll charge you for a bottle of water so either bring your own water or you know suck it up and pay for a bottle of water once you're there and yes the rumors are true some beers are served warm over there Simply avoid the wooden tabs. I remember I accidentally ordered a beer and it came warm, and I was like, ugh. So make sure you just kind of look around, and the non-wooden tabs are the way to go, unless you like warm beer. Yeah, I mean, you'll see them, too. Like, you'll walk into the pub, and you'll see, like, where they would have, like, the draft beer and all the taps. Uh, you, you know, the, the ones that are colder, you know, they're sweating from condensation, and they're metal, and they're metallic, and you can see them all lined up. And then you'll see this big blocky one kind of sitting off to the side made of pure wood. And the, you'll see the bartender, like, pulling down on this thing three or four times to get the beer to come up from the keg or wherever the hell it is. And it's going to come out warm. So if you don't want warm beer, stay away from the wooden taps. You know, another thing that I noticed over there, which was pretty funny, and I still have yet to see it in the U.S., is... When you go into the bar, there can be these things where it's like a little island of people, and it has its own individual beer tap. Yeah, I think I, I think we saw it. Every, like it's pretty popular everywhere over there. I think it measures out how many ounces you pour out, and then you get charged for that. And obviously, if you're balling on a budget, as are we, you know, we're not going to do that. Yeah, and if you've got a big party of people, you know, it can be a kind of like a cool novelty thing. And I've seen it, I'm starting to see that a lot in bars in the United States as well, where they'll have you pour your yeah, where they'll have you pour your own beer. I'm seeing that more and more. I think it's becoming like a trend. Yeah. So what? Are, let's talk about money here. You know, I think we kind of covered pretty well what we learned from this trip. But what did we spend? 
So total to break it down, and once again here at Red Eye Manifesto, a big part of what we do is not only informing you of what we've done and how to do it yourself, but to also do it on a budget and to save as much money as possible. For our stint in London, we spent about $240. Oof. Yeah, and that it was a little, little on the high end compared to the other places we went, but yeah, where did all that money really go? All right, well, we had our three nights at the Surprise Backpackers Hostel, and when I said it was $20 in the story, it was actually I was actually referring to 20 pounds. Now, if you're going to exchange 20 pounds into the United States dollar, you're looking at about $30 a night. So total, for three nights at a hostel, we are talking about 90 U.S. dollars out the door for the hostel. On top of that, we had three days' worth of food, and as we kind of covered in previous podcasts, we spend about $30 a day on food in this segment, so that was another $90. But did we do anything for fun? Like, did we spend any money there? Not really, because at least for me, London has the most iconic things to see, like the London Tower and Big Ben and Buckingham Palace, and those are the things that I wanted to go see. Next time I go, I'm probably going to want to see those things again because they're so iconic, but as far as fun money goes, we didn't really spend anything, and it, we had enough fun just kind of walking down the River Thames and just taking in the sights and the people. So uh, the fun portion, at least, is relatively cheap, if not free. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to see in London that you can easily fill up two to three days in a uh, in a walking tour, just doing walking tours and hanging around the city. Very easy to do that. The last thing that we spent on, which... Um, is the first thing we would shave off is we unfortunately had to spend $30 in the taxi ride because we didn't do our research on when the underground quit running and then $20 worth of metro tickets. But Dylan, I mean, just between those two things, what can we do next time to save money? Oh, there's so many things we could do. First off, we can stay at a cheaper hostel that's further from the city center. So instead of a $30 a night hostel or 20 pounds a night hostel, I would maybe go for about a 15 pounds hostel a night to get you kind of more down to the $20 range. And to do this, all you got to do is stay a little bit further from the city center, but just close enough that you're close to a metro station. Because if your hostel is anywhere near a metro station, all you got to do is walk that little distance to the metro, hop on it, and then from there, it's all beach house living. You just go ahead and shoot yourself right on into town for two pounds. You can really save on that. Because chances are good you're going to be taking the metro anyway, so... Might as well save a little bit on your hostel. So that would be the first thing I would do. Taking the metro or the underground or the tube, whatever we call it, they're all interchangeable. Taking it as much as you're going to be taking it, you might as well invest in one of the multi-packs that we talked about, which will save you a lot of money if you're going to be there for more than a couple days. And while you're at it, only spend like a day or two in London, really. I mean, the countryside of the UK, once you get out, like we were pushing up against that border in north london where abbey studio is everything there is going to be cheaper and it's also going to be a lot less touristed and you know a big thing that dylan and i like to do is not do the tourist things not fall for the tourist traps and there's oftentimes going to be a lot more to do there if you're on a budget i mean hikes camping local restaurants and little things that are off the beaten path yeah, and I really think that if you are going to Europe for the first time and you're going to these iconic cities like London, Dublin, Paris, Barcelona, 
uh, Prague, chances are good you're going to want to see the iconic touristy things. And so with only three days, of course you're going to go for those things. You know, like, if Kyle and I were to go back to Europe now, we would see it through a completely new set of eyes because we've already been there and done the things that you want to do the first time you go. So I really do believe it takes you two or three times going to Europe before you actually break out of that tourist uh, cycle. So yeah, get out of get out of London, if at all possible. Rent a car. If you're going to spend five days, maybe spend a day or two in the city and then get out because everything is going to be cheaper once you hit the countryside. Let's say we book a cheaper hostel, we get out of London, we buy the multi-pass for the tube, and we watch our money a little bit more. What does that really bring us down to instead of paying $240? For three nights in, in London, I can confidently get you there for at least, I mean, Bottom line, $180 out the door, three nights in London, confident number, 180 And that's a comfortable, easy living number. I mean, that's not going to be that hard to do at all. My one takeaway from this, as Dylan said, is if you're going to book a hostel, you don't have to sacrifice on quality. You're just going to have to sacrifice a little bit on distance, but that's no worries because – you can get a hostel that's more far from the city, but as long as it's close to a metro station, you're going to be fine. Now, Kyle, you bring up a good point there with quality, because I think it's time for our next segment, the review of the week. Review the week, people. Here we have it. Did it suck? Or was it epic? What's the first one we have on deck today? I'm ready. First one we got on deck today is a little place I like to call the Surprise Backpackers. Now, this place... Got a great location. It's right near M6, which is where they filmed all the James Bond movies, where James Bond goes to work every day. It's near Pimlico Station. Beautiful neighborhood. Tell us about the pub, Kyle. On paper so far, it seems great. It's in a great location. It's walkable to the city center. And it's got this pub in there. And the pub is really convenient and cheap. Everything is pretty expensive in London. So that was a pretty good plus. Especially you don't have to walk too far for the watering hole. And not only that, but they also offer a decent free breakfast. I mean, it was nothing glamorous, but it was toast and orange juice and Nutella. It was pretty good, but unfortunately, there are some things that are going to dock the rating a little bit. You remember from the story, I told you that the bunk beds were stacked three high. Now, in any situation, I don't care what the frames are made out of. That just makes me really uncomfortable. I mean, they were dangerous and i was very afraid to sleep on the bottom bunk i mean kyle had the center so he kind of had a little bit of, <laughs> he kind of had like a little bit of a better chance if the guy on top was uh you know maybe not so nimble and he <laughs> you know a little bit swaying in one way or the other that that thing's going down timber these were three high and it's not just three high it's really tall i mean the bunk bed was probably 10 11 feet tall and it was sketchy and the layout the layout was just confusing. I mean, it was just kind of all cattywampus. It was all close-knit. It just wasn't really homey outside of the main layer in the bar. Right, and I mean, 20 pounds, I mean, that is really overpriced for what you get. I mean, you're talking $30 a person a night. So to combined, Kyle and I were spending $60 a night to stay there. That's hotel money, folks. That's exactly, that is hotel money or motel money. We could have gotten a private room outside of the city, maybe somewhere near an airport, maybe about a half hour outside of the city for that exact same price. But, you know, we wanted to stay in the city center, and so we paid through the nose for it. And it's like, we get it, London. You're a fancy, overpriced city. But at the end of the day, 
go back on hostelworld.com and check it out. I guarantee you there's going to be cheaper, higher-rated hostels in the same amount of distance. So all said and done, Kyle, what would you rate the surprise backpackers? You know, I'm very lukewarm to this, man. It wasn't it wasn't the best hostel I've stayed at, and it certainly wasn't the worst. I'd say a, a good two and a half mugs of coffee. Oh, for sure. I wouldn't even give them that extra half point there. It is a literally it's the middle of the road hostel here. Yeah, this is this is this is just average. This is getting a C on a test and barely passing it. It's you passed, but it's it really nothing to be proud of. All right, so now that we've kind of talked about kind of the uh, kind of the yit when it comes to the surprise, when it comes to the hostels here, let's talk about something good that came or that we kind of saw or kind of experienced while we were in London. Now, before I divulge what this delicacy is, of course, it's food we're talking about. Dylan and I drove six hours from Cleveland to Washington, D.C., not directly, but a large part of it to get this fine meal in the United States. And here, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about none other than Nando's chicken. I'm talking this spicy chicken is probably the hottest hunk of meat you're going to be getting that side of the Atlantic Ocean. It's hot. It's real hot. And not only that, but once you get your chicken, you're going to want to slather it up with one of their several delicious peri-peri sauces that will just only add to the fiery arsenal that's taking place in your mouth. Combine that with some delicious sides, whether it be fries, rice, corn. They have it all, folks. It's just really delicious food, and it's a little on the healthy side, dare I say. I mean, it's grilled. It's none of this fried nonsense we have here in the States, but it does come at a price. The spicy chicken can be a turnoff for people who maybe are not inclined to enjoy spicy foods. If you do not like spicy foods, look elsewhere. Even their mild is pretty spicy on the spectrum there. And I don't think, I mean, stay away from it if you dislike spicy foods of any caliber. It's definitely, it's a little too much. Even me, I mean, I love spicy food. Dylan loves spicy food, but it's still a little too much. But, you know, it's familiar to what we're expecting here in America to eat, like the set up in the food ordering process i mean it's really familiar and it, it kind of reminded me of being at home in a way which was nice because it can be such a different culture not only the food but like the restaurant the layout and the, just the whole dynamic between eating there and your interaction with the hostess and the waitress so it was nice for that but you know it's just and they have ice and they have ice they have ice and it's they have free water and it, it's just a really good meal it's healthy and you can get a lot, but it's not the it's not the biggest bang for the buck, and it's definitely a little overpriced, but it's worth it. At the end of the day, we would rate Nando's a solid four mugs of coffee. This is going to get you through the day, and this is going to keep you running all day long. Well, there we have it, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and this was our seventh episode, and we'd just like to thank all you guys once again for listening. And stay tuned, because next week... Wait, Dylan, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we're going to cover... Oh, man. We're going to cover Paris. That's going to be pretty exciting. But we only stayed two days in Paris, which was kind of a mistake. And you'll kind of learn of the trials and tribulations of uh, staying in a place only two days. And kind of a little bit of a disappointment that we didn't prolong our trip in Paris. Definitely one of the cities that going into, I had the mindset, oh, it's, I want to see the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre and leave. But it was, it was really cool. And we definitely overexerted ourselves. And those two days we spent there, there was not one lick of downtime. So we'll tell you about that. And, you know, we'll continue the rest of our European saga after that. So stay tuned for Rome, Barcelona, 
and Prague. And after that, we're going to talk about, in real time, our Alaskan road trip that we're gearing up for here in a little bit in about four weeks, right? Yeah, in about four weeks. Actually, about four weeks from today, wow. I will be picking you up in Saskatoon. So this is definitely not something you're going to want to miss, folks. You're going to want to be tuning in every day. And not to mention that, you know, here we kind of aim to be more than just a podcast. We really try to breathe some life into it with videos and our website and social media. So as always, um, you know, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. It's just at Red Eye Manifesto. And we'll just be posting pictures of what we're doing. I'm going to Capitol Reef National Park in Utah this weekend for a little backpacking trip. And next week, I'm going to be going to uh, Allegheny National Forest in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so we're always doing cool stuff. It's what we do here. It's what we live for. And Dylan will take us away with credits. The Red Eye Manifesto is produced by Dylan Lewis and Kyle Herte. The music heard on today's episode was produced by Kevin McLeod, and the credentials can be found in the show notes. Links to Surprise Backpackers, Nando's, London's Underground System, a guide to Camden Lock, and a map of destinations on the Thames Riverfront can be found on our website, redeyemanifesto.com slash England. As always, drop me a line at kyle at redeyemanifesto.com or dylan at dylan at redeyemanifesto.com. Thanks for all the support, and we'll see you guys next week to talk about Paris.